Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to be getting into Luke chapter number 15. We're going to start in verse number 1, looking at the parable of the lost sheep. And so, before we begin, let us turn to the Lord and at a time of prayer, asking for His blessing be upon us. Heavenly Father, we come before you once more to the Word of God and ask for your blessing upon us, Lord, that we may learn from you, that we may receive of thy Spirit blessing of the manna that you would have for us to receive today. We ask for your blessing upon our brethren, Lord, that are struggling with their health, Lord, they're battling with different illnesses, and Father, we pray for our community as well. We ask that in this moment you will give us clarity of thought and desire of mind to receive the things of God, and that you will bless us in this time that we have gathered ourselves together around your word. So be with us, Lord, that we may rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, in Luke chapter number 15, beginning in verse number 1, <clears throat> we come before the Lord in his word to hear this. Then drew near all, unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And he spoke this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he, if he should lose one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you likewise, I say to you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. This parable is, is actually a really tough parable that comes against the religious. Now, within a church, you will have many who would be religious and few who would truly be the children of God, saved and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, why do I say it this way? Well, Jesus even enumerated this point when he, when he brought forth the Scripture and said, Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many thereby who go that way. But narrow is the way, and straight is the gate that leads to eternal life, and few there be that actually find it. <clears throat> Jesus' point is, just because you claim a connection to being a child of God and just because you attend the religious services of a church organization does not mean you're a part of Jesus' church and does not mean that you have a part in Jesus' kingdom. Salvation is the means by which we are connected to the Father, not the denomination of the church. And service to Jesus through God's Word is how we, we grow and strengthen our faith, not the connection of religion. And so we, we find this difficulty when Jesus begins to teach this, but look at the first verse. How priceless is this verse? It says, Then, by the way, keeping in mind from Luke chapter number 14, of that great multitude that would then surround Jesus, <clears throat> In his teachings concerning counting the cost, now look at this 
this out of this multitude that is surrounded Jesus in Luke 14, the that in that group are publicans, those tax collectors, and other various sinners. And they all draw near, drew near to Christ to hear him. Well, how does faith come by, as revealed in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 17? How does faith come by? The scripture says hearing. And hearing what? The scripture says hearing the word of God. Well, as Jesus is the fleshly embodiment of the Word of God, and these tax collectors and sinners have drawn near to Jesus to be able to hear him speak, to receive the Word of God, then what's the end result that's going to be for all of this sect of people, this group of people that could be Jews, could be Gentiles, could be anybody and everybody, but that they would hear the Word of God and believing be saved in their faith of Jesus. But then there's this other group of people recognized in verse number 2, known as the Pharisees and the scribes, who, since chapter 11, have been censured by Jesus, being called hypocrites and, and everything else you can imagine, by the gentle Jesus, of course. <laughs> and, and these Pharisees and these scribes, they murmur among them themselves. And what are they complaining about? What are they what are they saying among themselves that they would never say in public, that they would never say out loud? Because they gossip in their little mills between each other. But never will you find them saying this out loud because of the fear that the people that they might be saying it about will be the people that tax them. The people that they might be saying something about will be the people that 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 have an ability to lower their status within the sphere of their society. So you'll never hear them actually speaking out loud about these things, but you will see them clumped together in little secret societies, whispering and murmuring behind everyone's backs. And what do they have to say about Jesus? This man receives sinners. I mean, if, if it could get any worse, just just think about it. Jesus Jesus accepts sinners into his influence? Jesus would actually walk with sinners? I mean, he would talk with them and he would, oh my goodness, wait a minute. No, the scripture's got to be wrong. That, that it says that not only does Jesus receive sinners in verse number two, but he eats with them? Oh, this has just gone way too far. Those of us who are religious know that you're supposed to be wholly separated from the sinner, that you're not supposed to fellowship with them or have anything to do with them because the sinners are those which were destined which would be destined for hell and since I'm I'm directed and destined toward heaven that there's no way I could have any fellowship with that dog with that with that with that sinner. What in the world is the Messiah doing having fellowship with these sinners? Doesn't he understand that in order for him to be able to remain righteous and to be pure and to be holy before Yahweh, before the God of heaven, that he can't have any fellowship with these filthy, dirty dogs? He's, he's got to separate himself. What's wrong with him? Hey, aren't you glad that Jesus had fellowship with you? Aren't you glad that you as an unclean, dirty, filthy, rotten sinner would have the, the perfect 
and holy and righteous Jesus to come sit down with you and, and, and eat with you and talk to you and love you and save your soul? Isn't that awesome? It's a shame that these self-righteous punks known as the Pharisees and scribes didn't quite get that memo. It's a shame they missed that boat. <clears throat> but we can't say that Jesus didn't try to reach them. As Jesus would receive these publicans, and as Jesus would receive these sinners, and as Jesus would sit down with them and eat with them and fellowship with them and build a relationship with them and save them, <clears throat> the whole time these Pharisees and scribes could be doing that right alongside of Jesus, but they separated themselves and said, can you believe that Jesus would, would receive those sinners and eat with them? But what do we find in verse number 3 of, of Luke 15 here? But that Jesus knows your thoughts. Jesus is perceiving what's happening in your heart. And what does Jesus reveal to these guys? He reveals this. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doesn't leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one that was lost until he finds it? You see, all of you self-righteous people brooding together in your religion are not who I came for. I didn't come for those who were healthy. I came for the publican and sinner. I came for those who were sick, Jesus would say. I, I, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Look, if you're already righteous, then, then you've already understood. You've already got the connection. So you're not necessarily the ones I'm here to seek and to save. As it would say in Luke chapter number 19 that we'll get to in verse number 10, it says that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so it, he is extremely interested in the publicans and he's extremely interested in the sinners because those are the ones who are lost. These other people, though they may be lost, are so caught up in their own sense of righteousness, they're so caught up in their own religion that they, they don't see the lostness of their estate. They only see the authority of their religion, and, and they believe themselves to be perfectly fine in that. And so Jesus has to explain to them that, look, I'm not here for you. I'm here for the publican and sinner because those are the ones that are lost. Those are the ones that need to be saved, that need to be delivered. The rest of you guys are locked up in your own little pen and, and y'all are right there. But these guys are the ones who need to be reached. And ultimately, this is an instructional time for Jesus to correct the error of the thinking of these scribes and Pharisees because they've been reaching out to the wrong people this whole time. You see, like Jesus taught just, just in chapter 14, just a little bit ago, he said, what, what good is it to throw a banquet for the people that you know will throw a banquet back for you? You're supposed to throw a banquet for these publicans. You're supposed to throw a banquet for these sinners. And your job is to try and win the lost to Christ, to bring, to bring them back into a right relationship with God. That's your job. Your job isn't to... Uh, work within your your own little society of people that are just like you and and not to branch out to touch the lives of those that you that you don't have anything to do with you're supposed to be out there and so there are plenty of of sheep that are lost and that need to be gathered together once more into the pen 
And in fact, Jesus said, when, when I find these publicans and sinners and I discover that they're willing to have a, a relationship with me, then I'm willing to put them on my shoulders. I'm willing to carry them. I'm willing to save them and deliver them from the death that they deserved unto the life that I will give them through the promise that my Father made them if they would repent and turn to me. And he says, when I find them, I will lay them on my shoulders rejoicing. And then when, when, when he comes home, he's going to call together his friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me. I found my, lost, my sheep, which was lost. And this is a scene that takes place in heaven every time a soul receives Jesus unto salvation. That the whole of the throne room of God would erupt in a great deal of praise and worship because that which was lost has now been found. That which was separated from God and sin has now been saved and Jesus is going to be able to bring one more of the lost home. And so there is a rejoicing that happens because that which was lost has now been found. And Jesus' point to this in verse number 7, as he says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents more than over 99 people that see themselves as already just and need no repentance. You know, even even on a Sunday morning when a person is convicted and, and they come forward to the altar with a heart of repentance, all of heaven breaks forth in a rejoicing because this this who sinner, rather they were lost or rather they were saved and repenting of something that they'd done in the week, that this sinner is getting right with God. And there's nothing more thrilling to the host of heaven than for a sinner to get right with God, rather to receive Jesus unto salvation, or to get get right with the Spirit and with the Father in them so that the relationship can be reestablished from repentance unto holiness. And so either way, there's a great deal of rejoicing that happens in heaven over the sinners that repent because... This is what God has designed. This is the whole point, is to turn to Jesus. Either to return to Jesus or turn back to Jesus for initially, the first time. So the parable of the 99 is a very powerful truth that is given to us. But Jesus doesn't stop there. In Luke 15, beginning in verse number 8, he goes on to talk about the lost coin. Just as the lost sheep, so also the lost coin. Because he wasn't touching the lives of these Pharisees and these scribes, talking about livestock like he would farmers who actually would understand the necessity of livestock. The Pharisees and scribes could care less about that. All they care about is that they have a pen full of sheep that they could certify so that when it's time for people to go to the temple to be able to offer a lamb for their, their sacrifice offering, that they purchased it from this Pharisee or scribe because it's been certified as acceptable already before they even get to the temple. So what do they care about sheep outside of the money that they make off of it? Which is why... Jesus speaks the parable of the lost coin in verse number 8, beginning it says, Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, 
uses a, a candle to light the, the house and so that she could sweep the house and seek diligently through the house till she could find it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I, I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. And this is the whole point. I mean, you're talking the Pharisees and Sadducees. You're talking the scribes' language now. You're talking money. Though Jesus utilizes a woman in the place of, of a man, which probably would cause these Pharisees and these scribes to be a little bit crooked about Jesus and his explanation. But nevertheless, the deal is you got 10 pieces of silver. If you, if you lose one piece, you turn the house upside down and be able to find that one piece of silver. Right. And of course, you can imagine these these Pharisees and these scribes saying, well, good Lord. Yes. I mean, if I had 10 pieces of silver, but I could only find nine, I'll tear the roof off that house, be able to find that last piece of silver because the money to these guys means more than the woman, more than anything else. It's the money that that speaks this guy's language. So, yeah, I mean, of course you would flip the house upside down and find that one piece of silver. It's silly to think that you wouldn't. And so Jesus says, exactly my point. In heaven, there's, there is rejoicing and more joy in the presence of all of the angels of God over that one sinner, just like that one piece of silver. And by the way, Jesus is equating this, this particular one sinner to the, the one piece of silver, and remember that when the believers meet their time of judgment as recognized as gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, stubble in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, gold, silver, and precious stones, this one sinner is likened unto a silver coin among the other silver that was lost. And so that is another reason why I firmly believe that the treasure that we lay up in heaven is referred to on the Sermon of the Mount as laying up our treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt nor thieves break through and steal. I believe that treasure is actually people. Not necessarily the, the, the elements of gold, silver, or precious stones for what, what indeed will we have need of money? What, what will we have need of gold when the floor when the floor of our apartment in the in the mansion that Jesus is preparing for us, when the floor is going to be translucently pure gold, when the walls are going to be diamond, when, I mean, what what exactly is the element of gold, silver, or precious stone matter in a society and in a world of perfection where you where money is not needed in order to be able to eat, drink, and be merry? So we find that. The reality of that judgment throne, that, that judgment fire that we face in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 would actually reveal people's lives. Gold, silver, and precious stone all being maybe different elements, but all precious within their, within their element. And so we're all kinds of different people, red and yellow, black and white, of all nations that exist around us, and yet... We are all precious in his sight. We are all equal in that value of being made in the image and likeness of God. Though that image be varied, though that image be different, yet still of equal value.
And so we find that gold and silver are both valuable. Precious stones are valuable. All of them carry a value, though they are very different in in their look and in their structure, but they all still carry great value. And so these people are are the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and, and we should be, the scribes and Pharisees should be, extremely elated and excited over the even one that will come to faith in Adonai or Hashem or Yahweh. We, we should be so thrilled for every soul that comes to the saving knowledge of Messiah. But, of course, these guys wouldn't acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah anyways, and these guys wouldn't be thrilled that sinners and publicans would dare to convert or to accept salvation in Messiah because they are they are the the status of the corrupt. They're not the pure of religion. They're the wickedness of the world, those things. And so we see that Jesus uses money to try and get his point across that he tried to do with the sheep. However, it brings us to one of the most widely known parables, and so we're going to get into this as well today for the time that we have left, and that is the parable of the prodigal son. And this parable is so exciting. We're just going to read all the way through it, and then we're going to go through the elements of it. But this parable is so exciting. And so Jesus carries on. Now keep in mind, please, that Jesus is speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees here. This is, the, this is who he is directly working with. And so the scripture says, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to, the, to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered everything he had together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and bread enough and to spare, and I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And and the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put on a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be married. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now, before I get into the elder son in verse 25, let's just look at this prodigal boy. 
Some of us might fall under the, the, the list of this prodigal son. And unfortunately, and I have to say that some of us most likely fall under the, the guise of the eldest son. But we'll get into him if time permits. Let's look at this prodigal son. The very summation of this whole story is found in verse number 17 of the prodigal son. And when he came to himself. All right. Now, what happened to this boy is that he believed himself through the privilege that he had to be something that he wasn't. He believed that he was rich. In the reality, his father was rich, but he had nothing. This is often the case with rich kids coming from wealthy families, is that they believe that that wealth belongs to them. And of course, when, when they do something stupid enough to get cut off from that particular wealth, that, that they, they then accuse those parents of being mean or being evil and, and whine and moan and complain because they feel like they're victims. But the truth is, is that nothing could be further from the, the reality. You see, because your parents may be wealthy doesn't mean that you are. Because your your folks may be rich, it doesn't mean that you are. And in fact, through their good graces, you have all of the stuff that you have, the blessings of your toys, the blessings of your 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 junk and, and your phones and your beds and everything else that you possess, you possess it, their good pleasure. If they were to take everything away from you, it would be their prerogative to do so, for they are the parent, you are the child, and thus if they chose not to give you anything or they chose not to provide you any kind of re resource or money or anything that you would have to tough it out of your own way, then they're perfectly justified in doing so, and you just going to have to figure it out. But because of the overwhelming grace that has been poured out by them, you've had shoes, you've had clothes, you've had, you've had a home, you've had a roof, you've probably had a car, you've, you've, you've had all of these different luxuries that you've had, and it all comes down to grace. Now, the very breath that you're breathing right now is a gift of God as he has given to you, the home that you have, the roof over your head, the car that you drive, or the, or the multitudes of cars that you possess, the boats, the, the, the docks, the lake houses, all the, the, the fancy jobs and the high salaries and all of these things are all at the good grace and pleasure of God being bestowed upon you. Think not for one second these are things that you've done for yourself and that you are a self-made person by, by all of the activities that you've done to gain your wealth, even if your wealth is acquired by criminal activities and by lying cheating and stealing still it is through the grace of god that you would be able to be allowed to do such things to be able to amass such amounts to be able to have what you have today and that at the snap of the fingers of god you would lose everything in one moment that you would lose even your own life just ask ananias and sapphira and so we find that this rich boy, both of them are rich boys, but this particular boy, as being a rebellious young man, would say to his father, I want everything that's due for me right now. Consider the, the amount of the estate. Consider the amount of what would be my inheritance, and I want it now. I don't want to wait for you to die. I want all my inheritance, and I want it now so that I can go and do whatever I want with my life. 
And thus, it, it happens that that's exactly what the Father does. He divvies up the proportion of the goods that he possesses, and he gives to this particular young man, and this young man runs off into a far country, and he leaves God, and just squanders everything that was blessed to him. <laughs> Uses it all up upon his own lust and his own will. This completely abuses everything that was given a blessing to him. And so that when he, when he had spent everything that he had and a famine arose in the land, what is he going to do? He no longer has anything to be able to fall back on. He has no protection whatsoever. And so he joins himself to the citizens of that country where he's at. And they just use them and abuse them and treat them ill. In fact, it puts him in the fields to feed the swine, and, and this guy had reached a place where he'd be willing to eat the slop of the pigs. He'd be willing to eat the husks that the pigs eat, but he wasn't allowed to. So he wasn't getting anything to eat, and ultimately he might become pig food himself if he passed out inside of that pen and gave the pigs a second thought to be able to eat him, and pigs will eat you. <laughs> They are indiscriminate to what they're eating, and so he would have eaten the pig's food if, if, if it was possible for him, but he wouldn't be allowed to. And let me tell you, it took that much. It took that much struggling and suffering and, 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 and difficulty. It took that much for this guy to come to a realization of himself. And so he began to think, how many hired servants does my father have that have bread enough to spare? Why? Because his father took care of the people that served him. His father took care of his children. His father was diligent about the people. And in fact, his father, in the position of being the greatest of them, found himself in humility to serve them all so that he could take care of them, so that they would take care of him, and so that everyone would be elevated and everyone would be able to rejoice. That's what his father did. And this boy, growing up in this house all this time, never paid attention to his father. See, he is a son of the Father. This isn't dealing with people that are lost. This is dealing with people that are saved. And by the way, the sheep that, that strays of the ninety and nine, they're all sheep. This isn't someone lost. This is someone that's saved, that strays away from God. And Jesus is trying to explain how that these Pharisees and these scribes have, have strayed away from God and that they need to return to the author and finisher of their faith. They need to return to their Messiah right there standing in front of them. They need Jesus. And so he's talking to these guys and he's explaining that this is a son of the kingdom, but he's not realized who the father truly is. He's not realized the responsibilities that come with being a son of, of the king. They've not realized what, what is necessary for them. They've only wanted to have their way in this life and to be able to enjoy the things that they want to do, doing whatever their will would be to have. And so... So when he finally comes to himself, and by the way, coming to himself is in, in, in the pigsty, in, in the midst of the starvation and the thirst that, that has gripped him. And so when he's finally come to himself, he says, you know what? I now realize who my father is. And just recently I had a conversation with an individual that said, you know, I, 
I am a child of God. I have been a child of God for some time, but I've really never realized exactly who my father was until until you began to open the scriptures to to us at the church. And 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 then I began to really understand Jesus, and now I realize who my father is. Well, that's no pat on my back, but a but a praise to Jesus that would come to them with the word of God and proclaim to them the reality of his presence that lives within them to connect them to the Father. And that they would have, for the first time in many years, heard his voice and connected with God to realize exactly who the Father is. Which is what this young man, finally, from being in the pigsty and being being there trying to hopefully eat some of the husks of the corn that the pigs are eating, would come to himself and say, you know what, my father takes really good care of his people. So it's not about being a son anymore as much as I recognize I've given up that right to be a son. I've given up and squandered all of the hope of being able to have that, that kind of a relationship, but I am willing to be a servant. I am willing to turn to my Father and, and submit myself to become a servant to Him. And that's when the rejoicing of the Father was even greater because the Son finally understood where His place was, even at the expense of wasting the gifts that the Father had given Him for all those that time that He had gone into the world. Yet still the Father receives him as a son and blesses him richly back into his fold because the Father knows that this boy has finally understood what it means to actually be a son of God or a daughter of God is that we are his servants in his kingdom. Most of us live our lives of of Christianity as concerning being a son or a daughter as thinking that we're greater than all the rest of the people. We spend our time seeing ourselves as higher than the rest of of, of the church or the rest of society. We spend our time uh, looking down at the tip of our nose instead of looking up to Jesus, and so we're still busy being the prodigal son from his prodigal days instead of coming to the realization of what we are before God and and His holiness and our unrighteousness and surrendering our life to Jesus. So this boy, he he come walking down the road, and what, what do we find that this boy come walking down the road? His father saw him, and his father ran see, his father wasn't willing to let him even turn back and run away from him to, to, to make it a little ways and then say, you know what, I can't do this. It's too embarrassing. I got to turn around. I can't do this. As soon as his father saw him, his father wasn't going to let him get away this time. His father went running. And through the compassion that he has, he went running for this boy, fell on his neck and kissed him, grabbed a hold of him and, and gave him a hug. Why? This boy treated him so horribly. This boy walked out on his family, walked out on him, squandered all of his blessings. This boy did not deserve anything that this father bestowed upon him. And yet the father poured out his compassion upon this son and took him in his arms and and, and rejoiced and told the servants, get me the best of everything we can put on this boy. And what is the joy of the Father? 
The joy of the father was this point in verse 24. This, my son, was dead, but he's alive again. This, my son, was lost, and now he's found. Hallelujah. That's the story of us all that have returned to Jesus. That's the story of us all that have gone wayward in, in, in our faith and, 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 and what is called backslidden into this world and, and, and gotten wicked. And, and yet, when we finally reach the, the pinnacle of, of our, our slop and, and our messy situations and in our fallen back lives, we say, you know what, I, I remember my father. I remember my father takes real good of his servants. And I'm not worthy to be a son anymore, but that I could return to my father and, and become one of his servants, that, that God won't receive you again. Make no mistake, God will receive you. Now, I mean, there's no question you might be paying a price with wood, hay, stubble. There's no, no, no telling what kind of price we still have to face, even though the Father with compassion runs to us, even though the Father with compassion receives us and, and loves us and, and, and puts our clothes back on us and puts shoes on our feet, puts a ring on our finger and, 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 and kills a fatted calf for us. It doesn't change the consequences of the actions that we've taken. But it does begin a brand new life of living in a right relationship with our Father once more. And that is that prodigal son story. Now, uh, tomorrow <laughs> we're going to get into the end of this particular parable, and we'll get a little bit thicker into the parable, of course, the, the whole of it in connection to these two sons to the Father. But tomorrow we'll begin in verse number twenty-five, and we'll talk about the elder son, and we'll look we'll look at this parable in 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 much more depth from the elder son's perspective. Because between the two of the children, I think that the elder son who didn't leave was worse off than the the younger son who did leave. But we'll get into all of that as we we uh, get deeper into this thing tomorrow. And God bless you, and and thank you for spending this time with me, Father. We Indeed, praise you and thank you for the blessing of this time and ask you, Lord, to, to watch over us the rest of this day, Lord, that we may be able to live it well. We thank you, Father, for these parables and rejoice in the fact that, that you indeed would love us in so much that as we would become wayward with you, that you would that you would come to seek us, Lord, just like the sheep. The 99 might be all right with you, but it's that one that walked away that Jesus comes after and carries on his shoulders to bring back to the fold that we may rejoice together. And I think about the the one piece of silver out of the ten, Lord, in, in, in the concept of the, the gold, silver, and precious stones of the wood, hay, and stubble that we face is concerning the judgment, Lord, that 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 piece of silver may be that soul that you have us talking to today to lead them to Jesus. That gold or that precious stones may be those people that you've brought through our lives that we've testified of our Lord Jesus and that we've seen them come to a, a right relationship with the Lord. And so that when we reach heaven, indeed, we would be blessed to have that gold, silver, and precious stones and stand around the throne room of God together rejoicing and leaping and praising God. 
And Lord, I think about this prodigal boy, and I think about my own life and my journey and walk with you. And Father, there have been many a time that I could be guilty of being this prodigal son, but there are some times where I'm definitely guilty of being this older brother. And Lord, I pray for forgiveness. And and Father, I would hope that those that listen into this broadcast or podcast, wherever they're catching this, would seek forgiveness from you as well as that we live lives of repentance, Lord. We're not perfect and we're not going to be perfected until we leave this earth. And so we still battle daily with this old flesh and with its lust thereof. And so we pray that you'll give us wisdom how not to be the prodigal son, but to be how not to be the prodigal son while he was prodigal, Lord, and how not to be the eldest son who becomes prodigal in the end, but that we may find ourselves returning unto our Savior and Messiah, seeking to be a servant as recognizing we're not worthy to be a son, only to be sealed by the Spirit and clothed upon by the armor of God as being brought in a son and daughter of the one true king. What a thrill it is to know these things and to have your love in the blessed name of Jesus today. Amen. Well, guys, God bless you, keep you, and cause his face to shine upon you. And I'll catch you tomorrow for the fantastic conclusion of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Take care now.